audio video recording. <laughs> it's going. <laughs> We've tried to record this show three times, four times now already. At we're having least. some technical difficulty, but we're we're going now. So anybody listening didn't hear any of that, which is fine. We, I wanted to start the show by thanking Patreon supporters instead of doing it at the end this time. Uh, like I've said multiple times now, when I make the show notes, I have to look through the list of Patreon supporters and copy them and put them in the show notes. <clears throat> and so I'm always reminded of uh, that we're thankful for those people that help us out. And we do an after show, in case you don't ever hear it. We do like another little podcast show that's a separate feed. It's like 10, 15 minutes, and it's only for people who support us on Patreon at any level. So even if that's a dollar, you can have that too. It's just a thing that we do. And sometimes there's secret stuff. Sometimes it's just more jibber-jabber. But it's there if you want it. Can I can I say one thing to, to, about the patrons? Of course. I would like to thank every patron that supports all four of us. All three of us and the yes. podcast. So thank you for those few guys that do that. And I'm not trying to say that. It's like pandering. Everyone should do that. Anything you guys do is great. But thank you for the few that do the uh, quadruple crown. It's Thank crazy you. amazing. Yeah. There are some some awesome, amazing, dedicated people. And if you can't do it, it's totally fine, too. Just listening is, is amazing. And I get so many comments on, on the YouTube videos and in the emails. Like, I was listening to the show and blah, blah. And, like, it's, it's like, oh, you watch and listen. That's so cool. So, I love it. It is. Yeah. It is super cool. And I was thinking about something the other day. And this is, this is in addition to the thank you because I... I'm also saying thank you to those people. I was listening to another podcast and they were talking about how like their show was growing and they were like, you know, if you tell a person it can grow even more. And I got to thinking about that. And it's easy for us to say, hey, everybody, tell somebody, you know, about the show. And and everybody listening says, "Okay," And then they don't do that. But just imagine this. Imagine if every person who listens to the show actually got one more person to listen to the show. And that's really simple math, but our listens would double. That's <laughs> awesome. That would you be don't have so to do that. crazy. But you don't have to. You don't have to do that. Don't. But do if that. you did, actually, don't. Do that'd be. It. What? 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 No, 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 no. Whose side are you on here? <laughs> no, 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 no. Just say it. Just imagine in a world, Bob. Do it. In a world. Where in a world. Somebody else. Something. Where everybody shares their favorite show, <laughs> or a show that they like. Anyway, I was thinking about that the other day. <laughs> But is that my point was, favorite show? I didn't know that. Well, uh, it's maybe somebody's favorite show. Anyway, the whole point of that was to thank our Patreon supporters, especially our top supporters, who are Corey Ward, Works by Solo, Chad from Mancrafting, Maker and Training, Fun Kiss, Artistic Creations, Blondie Hacks, You Can Make This Too, Modern DIY, and Jenny and Davis. Mm. Uh, we really are thankful for you guys and for yes. everybody else who who helps out the show in any way, you know, even for the people who can just listen and they enjoy it, but they give us feedback. That's awesome as well. Bob. So, yes. Since you had to do that multiple times, does it feel less genuine the third or fourth time you say that? Um, it's no, it doesn't feel less genuine, but it's hard to run through the same list of names and read the same list three or four times in like a 10 minute span. (laughs) You know what I mean? Just cause like, I don't want it to sound disingenuine, but no, we are. We really are thankful for everybody that helps us out. Um, and if you can't do that, don't sweat it. Like I, it, we've actually had emails from people that have like kind of apologized for not being able to to support us. Please don't ever feel like that, anybody. Or if you have to stop support or anything, you know, like no, 
we are grateful th- yes. just that you're listening. So Yes. And yes. this I think this makes it easy. Everybody should know. If you stop following, if you stop supporting us, we don't notice because they don't tell us. So sometimes well, people actually, take away this. They d- who tells us? They tell us. I get the email. You just don't get the email. No, no, no. But I'm saying, does the Patreon say it? Yeah. Oh, they do? Yeah. I guess I get those I just too. I shield you. I, you're you're, so soft <laughs> you're protected. And, yeah. I, I don't want you to cry. <laughs> I'm just kidding. <laughs> Never mind. Yeah. No, I, I mean, stuff happens. We actually do get emails on occasion from people who are like, you know, something about my situation changed and I have to stop supporting for a while or whatever. And they're like apologetic. And I don't everybody to, and I don't ever want anyone to feel that way. We are super grateful uh, just that you're here. So, yeah. Thank you to everybody. Yes, thank you. So, now that I got that out of the way, you guys have the entire show to figure out what you want to tell people about at the end of the show, but when it's go time, you don't have a buffer anymore. I think so I got something. Figure it out. Okay. I'm looking through my list right now. <laughs> <laughs> Alright, that's it, everybody. Show's over. I really thought right. I'd put some videos into my watch later that was just for this, for the recommendations, and apparently I didn't, so... If mm. I seem distant, well, if you watch them, I'm going through go my away. YouTube history, yeah. <laughs> okay. Well, Jimmy, you still have people at your house from another class? We did the knife-making class this weekend, and it went amazing. You know, some some every class is amazing, but some classes are more amazing than others, and I think it's just a collection of energy of the people that are there. And this was a good one, a very good one. And we had some friends coming and hanging out and it was amazing we just had such a wonderful time till did a great job on the catering and we, we've had friends help us and we've had caterers help us and at the end of the day taylor's just happier doing it all by herself and she does a great job she takes great pride in it and everybody's pleasantly surprised that because they just assume that because it's kind of like a little rogue a little backyardish that we're going to just do hot dogs and hamburgers, but Taylor really takes it to the next level and does a really beautiful layout each each dinner. And we usually do snacks and all kinds of stuff. I gain like five pounds every single time we do a class because the food I never have around me is around me for like three days solid. But it, it went great. Steve Pellegrino was an amazing teacher. The first knife class, I think we made like 13 knives or well, 14 knives, everybody made two. So it was a small class. It was about six or eight people. This time the class was about twice the size and everybody made four knives. So it was like maybe 40 Whoa. knives. I don't know what the math awesome. is ultimately, but all together. <clears throat> and everybody was working right up until the minute they had to leave. So a lot, like the majority of the guys had to leave on Sunday evening. So we didn't get a really good, great group shot of everything. We just got that one group shot of everybody around the tractor in the backyard because some people were starting to peel away. I was like, before everybody goes, let's get in front of the tractor for one shot. And uh, that's on my Instagram. But it was an amazing class. It was great. And it was just a lot of fun. And uh, we have two more classes this fall. We have blacksmithing on October 4th. And then at the end of October, we have axe head making classes. And if anybody's curious, there's still room in both of those, at least one in one and a couple in the other. So if you're interested. So that went really well. And I plasma cut blanks all weekend long. And people were giving me drawings of what they wanted. And I would photograph that and then do an, a vector line around it in Illustrator and then cut it out. And some people might say that using the plasma is cheating and it's the best kind of cheating because no one's using up grinding discs and bandsaw blades aren't getting broken and there's no risk of things flying into people's eyes. So I was more than happy to sit there and draw profiles and then plasma cut them out. 
So it went really, went really well. It was like we get in the rhythm of this. This class is a little complicated because you got to heat treat, you got to quench, you got to soak, you know, and all these different heat treating processes take a long time. And a lot of people find themselves with like in between with not much to do. So they make another knife. And so everybody went home with a few knives that they're going to finish at home. But ultimately it was, it was just great, great experience. That's awesome. So how far in the process do they typically get a knife? Like, is it the blade is fully done and sharpened and they just have to work on the scales later or is it? Uh, In some cases, yeah. For the most part, for the most part, everybody got at least two knives done, two, maybe three knives done with uh, a sharp blade and handles on it. And then a lot of take home projects, a couple of knives that are just cut out that need to be ground, a couple of heat treated knives that need to be then sharpened and then polished. And uh, yeah, so everybody leaves with varying levels of finished parts. And some people just take some scrap steel home to do it on their own now that they have a better education. And uh, but, but everybody at least had two or three completely completed knives, totally completed knives. And it's great. That's awesome. Cool. David, what'd you what'd you do all weekend? I didn't do anything fun this weekend. I cleaned up a lot of rotten wood out of our backyard, which took multiple trips to my buddy Jack's house. Jack, he listens to the show. What's up, buddy? Thank you for allowing me to haul massive loads of rotting wood to your place to burn. Um, <laughs> but uh, earlier in the week, we finished up the, the bifold doors, and I used, Bob, your video as a, as a, as a kind of like a, a little pregame warm-up and i used the hardware that you use so thank you for that suggestion i did not realize when making those doors that that most bifold doors are like an inch to like an inch and a half thick i made everything out of three quarter inch material and then when it was time to add the hinges the hinges are made for something that's way thicker and so i oh yeah I, i had to grind them down a little bit so they weren't sticking out but it came up just fine I was, for whatever reason, I was kind of stressing out about doing the hardware and hanging the doors, but it was super easy. I thought it would be complicated. I don't know why I built up this complication in my head, but it was super easy. The the hardest part is actually all the little adjustments of getting the, the gaps right and popping the doors off and turning the screw and popping them back in. But yeah, it was, it was super easy. Sweet. And yeah, then, that was a when I when I put those hinges on, I was surprised at how quickly that the actual like hanging process was. Yeah, and like and the way I did it, at least um, you could adjust the those little pins in the side. They have like kind of a roller, mm-hmm. and I could adjust the up and down location of the things with them in place, which makes it way easier because you don't have to take it out, make a change, put them back in, and see if it's right. You could just like hang mm-hmm. them in, you know, and adjust them. Yeah, there is the there's the there's a little part up top that you 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 have to take the door out to adjust there's a little screw in there but yeah. the but the bottom part yeah you can just kind of lift up the door and turn that screw and then we also worked on some cool i'm not sure what to call them yet lamps lanterns luminaries but we cut up some stained glass and we didn't do any kind of soldering but just we're keeping it simple right now but making these cool little lamps like a like a little desk lamp and um, I'm really excited with how they're coming out. They, I mean, it, I was really surprised on how fast the first one, we were making four of them, how fast it was to make them. So I'm 
it's going to be part of the video of like, hey, if you want to make a bunch of these for Christmas or for craft shows, this is a quick project to batch out. And then cutting some glass, which is going to be, uh, eventually we're going to get into doing stained glass and soldering and cutting curves and, and, and doing everything and making glass doors. So this is kind of like a, like, get started here, just cutting squares and then get ready for some more complicated stained glass stuff. That's awesome. I've never done stained glass. My dad did it um, a few times, I think before I was born or maybe when I was really young. Like, I don't remember seeing him do it, but I've seen the work that he did. And we were actually talking about that a couple of weeks ago, and he was explaining that there's kind of two different processes for the leading that you can put in between. Mm-hmm. Well, he told me about two of them. There could be a hundred of them. I don't know. Um, but it was there's, interesting. Cause it was something there is basically I two. Okay. It's called caning, like which a, is like an I-beam of lead. And then there's... Yeah. The more modern version where you put copper tape on both sides and then solder it together. That's the more common used one. Sounds like that one's probably a little bit easier, it's easier too, yeah. from what he said. But much. Yeah, it was interesting because I had never known like how you actually got the things. You can see how they're connected, but as mm-hmm. far as like the, the once you see how it's it, done, it it's like oh, that's all there is to it. I did, I had no idea. Hmm. Interesting. Yeah. It looks like it would be hard, but maybe it isn't. Well, um, I so I we've been working on a video that I think is going to come out this week, but if not, it will be next week. And if it comes out next week, then that means we don't have one for this week, which <laughs> would be a bummer. But um, a couple of months back, in my back porch, we found bees, honeybees, had gone in through this little hole in our back porch and created a nest on the inside of the wall. And they would, there was this little hole that was like the end of your pinky, like tiny. And all these bees would come in and out of this thing all day long. And so <clears throat> we didn't want to kill them. I wanted to move them if we could. So we called a beekeeper. He came out and looked at them. And he was going to come one day and help take them out. And then he was going to integrate them into his hives. And then after talking to him for like 45 minutes about bees, I was just fascinated. Like, they're incredible. I had no idea how all the different crazy things that bees do um, to keep a hive going and everything. What you doing there, Jimmy? Oh, I'm sorry. What's Jimmy doing? Weirdest hat I've ever seen. <laughs> no, no, no. I just my, my buddy made me a neck knife, and I just put it on my neck just now so I could remember to wear it. My buddy empty knives on Instagram. So I'm just putting it on so I could talk about it later. <laughs> Hashtag neck knife. <laughs> yeah, neck knife. Anyway, so I, I got super interested in bees, and then I decided, hey, we should make some beehives, and then I'll just try to keep these bees. And so over the past couple of weeks, I learned a bunch of stuff about beehives, made some uh, bee boxes and frames, and then this past Friday or Thursday or something, we he came over again. And we moved, we opened up the wall, we pulled out the honeycombs and moved this hive to the new boxes that I built. Wow. And it was fascinating. I mean, it was all afternoon, it was hot outside. So it was all afternoon of being outside in like, I, you know, having no experience, I was kind of tense. Like I'm thinking we're going to get stung and I had like gloves and the bee suit and everything ready and he didn't put any of that on. And so I was kind of like, well, if he's not putting it on, Maybe I don't need to either. And we ended up moving together. We moved these four or five comb pieces that were about, I don't know, 10 inches in diameter. We moved them to the frames, put the frames in the box, 
and never put on gloves, never got stung. It was crazy. I just, I just kind of assume like as soon as you start doing anything, they're going to freak out and try to kill everybody. But you know, you smoke them, they calm down. They don't communicate as well when they're, when they have like smoke around. And, uh, so we got them all moved and got them in the box and then closed it up. And I'm like, sweet, this is done. And then they all basically over the next couple hours came out of the box and went back to the place where we had taken them from. <laughs> oh no. But I'd sealed, I'd sealed the hole. So they all flew back and we're talking probably a thousand bees. Oh my God. That's scary. <laughs> Go like two feet and they just make this, it's called a beard, this big sheet of bees on the wall. And they're just there. And now what? I'm thinking, well, okay, it's, you know, it's overnight, maybe, because <clears throat> during the day they go out, they collect their pollen and everything, and then they come back to the hive at the end of the day when it cools down. So I'm thinking, well, maybe in the morning they'll go out and get their stuff, and then they'll come back to the new hive, because the queen is in the new hive. And uh, all the beekeepers out there are probably screaming at me, telling me I'm doing the wrong thing. We'll get to that in a little bit. <laughs> so all the bees, I come out the next morning, all the bees are gone. Sweet. All good. And then that evening, they come back again. They're on the back porch, not on the hive. And this happens for two two or three days or whatever. So Saturday, I'm talking to my beekeeper friend uh, over you know, instant message. And, and I'm like, what do, I don't know what to do here. And basically, I said, I'm going to just try to move them. I'm going to physically pick up this sheet of bees and put them in the hive. Ew. Yeah. <laughs> And it's like this sheet is like this big. So it's about 12 inches, at least a foot. Yeah, a foot, 18, something like that. And maybe six inches wide, just a sheet of bees. And so I put on my suit. You know, this time I'm not messing around. I'm by myself. I don't want to die. So I'm like putting on my suit. I don't remember ever being stung by a bee. So there's part of me that's like, what if I'm allergic to bees and I don't even realize it? I should probably. I got a bee. I got a stung by a bee story from last summer. You guys remember? I'll tell oh, you yeah. <laughs> So I put on my stuff. I smoke the bees to calm them down a little bit. And apparently, he said, you mix up some sugar water. You spray the bee sheet with sugar water, and it makes them so they can't fly, but it also gives them stuff to drink and stuff to eat. And so I spray them down, open up the new box, and I just start scooping bees off the wall with my hand. And oh. put all these bees down inside the GoPro? top of the box. GoPro, GoPro, GoPro. No, this was yeah. like a, I got to figure this thing out. <laughs> <laughs> and so I do a couple scoops and then I looked at my gloves after I had gotten them done, covered in stingers, <gasps> just, just covered. I mean, hundreds. <laughs> so if I did. Now, does that, is there a myth to that? Or is it true that each one of those bees yeah, now will die? They will, they will die. Cause when it, when their stinger comes off, it pulls off the back of their butt basically. And then they just die. Um, I, I mean, I think there are cases where that doesn't happen, but I think more often it does happen. So, I mean, the, the downside there is I lost a bunch of those bees, but I have also moved them in anyway. So I took all these bees, I put them in the box. This is way longer than I would have meant it to be. Put them in the box, put the top on, took some duct tape, sealed up the opening and basically locked them in this new house for a day. So they would start to realize this is where they were supposed to be. Because I learned a lot about how they locate themselves and how they, when they come out, they start making circles and they, they have kind of a built-in, it's not GPS, but the, you know, this location system built into them so they can figure out where things are and it's fascinating. 
So anyway, you lock them in there for like a day. And I came out yesterday morning before they go out to get their stuff. And I open up this little strip of tape. And immediately they just start walking out, start flying off, start flying off. And then they're just like coming out just 50 at a time. There's just bees everywhere. And they fly off. And then last night they all came back to the new box. There were none on the wall. All good to go. Mm. Oh, wow. Because you killed them all with it's, the stingers. <laughs> <laughs> Just kidding. Both I of the bees that were left said. went back to the box. So, is um, there a queen bee? Yeah, there's a queen in there. She's the one that, that has a crown on. That's how you know which one it yeah. is. Yeah. She has a big robe, like a cape. Of course. It's very obvious which one she is. Now, we actually couldn't find her. She carries one of those uh, those sticks that Bugs Bunny would hit everybody on the head with. I don't even know what it was. But. Yeah, that thing. We couldn't find her, but there were eggs in the comb, and that's a sign that if if there are eggs after three days, then you know she's still in there laying because she lays every three days or something, or they hatch every three days. Anyway, I'm learning all sorts of stuff. <clears throat> um, so the video is about building these boxes uh, for the bees, not about beekeeping, because that is something that I'm just barely beginning. And I tried to make that really clear in the video so that people don't you know, immediately jump on my case because there, there's a huge amount of information. There's a lot to figure out a lot. And there's a bunch of different ways to do it. In fact, the beekeeper I was talking to said, basically anybody that tells you <clears throat> a beekeeping thing online, ignore it, find your local beekeeper who lives where you live hmm. and talk to them because the way that you have to keep a hive here is different from where you guys live. They're like temperatures different. Uh, environment's different, you know, the bees are different bees. So it was pretty interesting um, to listen to him and like learn a bunch of stuff about how to do it here. And I think it's going to be one of those just constantly learning new stuff to like, okay, I don't know what to do now. You know, like we have to, because it's so late in the season and we move them to a new place and the hive was kind of small. Now we have to feed them to make sure that they can make it through the winter. So I've got to learn how to make, how to feed them and like how often to do that and how to do that safely. And so, so were you thinking cool. to yourself, I don't have enough hobbies. I need to pick up a few more skills and <laughs> kind of, yeah. <laughs> I'm not sure. I'm not sure how I keep doing that, but uh, yeah, we planted a bunch of plants recently. We planted, yeah. you know, like different bushes and now we're doing bees and yeah. I, don't know. I love it, but it's pretty fascinating. Um, but the doing that whole thing is, it kind of brings us to what we were going to talk about. I, w- I wanted to talk about the forge that I did uh, last week. And I think forging and building a forge, you know, building a, a tool to do a thing uh, when you can or building like the bee boxes, which, you know, I could easily order those and have it done. I, there's something about, at least to me, about the process of building those things that you know you're going to use in a certain way. And it's it's not always the right thing to do, but... Like the bee boxes, I was really interested in doing it. Um, helps you learn the anatomy of before. the. It helps you learn the anatomy. I think it's important. Yeah, yeah, and and I've learned a whole lot about. Okay, here's an interesting little thing that I wouldn't have known if I didn't make it. Probably, the bees will fill up any space that is less than three eighths of an inch. So if you have, if you build a box. Now, like these are finger jointed boxes. If you build super sloppy finger jointed boxes where there's gaps of an eighth of an inch between all the fingers, that's okay. I mean, it's not a good idea. I wouldn't do it on purpose, but it's okay because the bees will make this waxy stuff called propolis and they'll fill it. They seal up the inside of their everything 
with that stuff. I wouldn't have known that that was an issue or that you have to make things in a certain way to avoid them filling up certain spots if I hadn't had to make things to a dimension. Mm -hmm. And so it was really cool making the frames. We had to make these, these frames where they build the comb in. Those have to have spacers on the side to make sure that they're not too close together so the bees don't glue these frames together because you have to be able to lift them in and out of the oh, boxes. Yeah. And so stuff like that, it was just, you know, I wouldn't have had to even realize the spacing mattered unless I had to look at dimensions and build them to a certain spec. So um, that was really cool. But <clears throat> to the the forge thing, there's forges out there that I could have purchased uh, there's very specific plans I could have followed, but basically I was trying to come up with or not come up with, I was trying to find the simplest possible propane forge I could find. And I found a whole bunch of people have done simple burners, um, simple forge boxes or cans or, you know, whatever. And I ended up kind of essential craftsman has an awesome video about making like the most basic forge he could make. And I, pretty much copied that one. I mean, I changed a few things about it, but it was essentially the same thing. I picked that one because he obviously knows what he's doing. And it was, his was made to not even have to have a welder. It's like you have, you know, you have like a hacksaw and an angle grinder, I think, and you could make it. It's really, really simple. And I know they get nicer and they get more efficient and they get more this and more that, but I was honestly going for the simplest possible thing that I could so that I could get started. And I learned a whole lot about how burners work, about the different components in a burner, about what kind of fuel air mixture. In fact, the other day I had some trouble with it and Brett was helping me with it over Instagram. Oh yeah. He mentioned you guys were were talking. Yeah. We were talking back and forth. He was giving me all sorts of information about like moving the nozzle and all this different stuff. I never texted you back, Brett. Sorry. I did get it working. Um, but it's been interesting to learn a bunch of the specific stuff in the process of making a tool, which I know is not like the end all be all tool, right? It's not the one that I would use if I was going to like make a sword or make, I don't know. I don't even know what I'm going to do with it, honestly. But if I was going to make something complex, this would not be the, the tool to use for it. But in the process of making that, I learned that there are hard bricks and soft bricks for fire bricks. I didn't know that. I didn't know that until people said in the comments. In the comments. Um, I learned about the placement of the burner, you know, based on where the material is going to be in the forge, about convection within the forge and how you have to kind of build that into the space on the inside. I learned a ton of stuff that I wouldn't have learned if I had gone to Amazon and ordered the $300 forge that I found there. You yeah. know what I mean? Yeah. <laughs> so no, that's it. Sometimes I, I build stuff, thing, I, sometimes I'll, I'll jump into a build just to learn about it. And I never yeah. even show it. And I had a similar experience. Uh, I, I actually was filming it, but I didn't. It wasn't successful, so I didn't show it anywhere. I was making a smelting forge out of mm-hmm. a beer keg, and I never got it to work right. And I ended up buying a a torch, uh, a burner, on Amazon because mm. the one I made didn't work. I just got frustrated and got to a point where I just never showed it. And I gave the I gave the whole forge to a friend because I ended up just buying one because I got frustrated yeah. with the process. But in the process of making it, I learned everything you shouldn't do, and some of the sh- stuff I did do, I did do correctly. But I jumped right in, and I didn't do too much research, which is my mistake. Hmm. But. Well, I mean, but even to that, though, <clears throat> I did do a bunch of research. Like, intentionally. This is one of those, like, everybody, except for me, seems to know how to do blacksmithing. So everybody knows how forges work, except for me. So I'm going to look into it, right? And I'm going to read, and I'm going to... And I, I honestly thought... 
this is not a complaint session. This is just me. I did some research and I thought I had enough information to make something that I, you know, I thought was going to be kind of basic. And the comments were super helpful and positive, but they were like, well, if you had done this, if you had used this brick, it would have reflected the heat in instead of absorbed it. Oh, that's awesome to know. Like I wouldn't have known that. Even in the research, I didn't find anything about that. Um, <clears throat> so after putting the video out, I immediately had a whole list of like, oh, I could do this better. And I could change this. I can change the burner in this way and I can make it longer and I can, somebody had a really good idea about, um, something as simple as like, I put a back on mine and I welded a, a piece of metal down the back to hold the brick in, <clears throat> excuse me. And this guy said, if you make that piece of metal removable, then you can open up the back of the forge and you can slide a longer piece through it. So you can heat, not just the end, but you could heat in the middle. I'm like, oh. It's like so simple, but right. really, really smart. <laughs> so I guess all this to say, like, it was it was awesome to learn through the process of building a simple, but, you know, like passable forge. I learned a whole lot about what I would look for if I were to purchase one or if I were to make one again. Um, not that I know everything I would need to know to make another one, but at least I know more of the questions to ask, right? Mm-hmm. I know the stuff that I need to research. Um, so I think, because a lot of people were like, you know, you should have, you know, Alex Steele, you should have just asked him which one to buy. Or, uh, you know, this person who has these forges, just ask them which one to buy. And I'm like, well, making the thing, making the tool is not always the right answer, but sometimes it can give you a whole lot of experience mm-hmm. and a whole lot of information that you wouldn't have gotten if you had just purchased the first one that you came across or purchase, you know, and I've said before, I take recommendations for tools all the time. David, I've asked you which bandsaw to get, and you said one, and I bought it. End of story. Right. And that's great. But sometimes it's like if it's a new skill, you can learn a lot just from the exploration of trying to make something. So I guess we want to talk about making tools versus buying tools or when to do, you know, when you guys have done that or not done that. I have have a few um, jigs and, like, clamping jigs and jigs for the table saw that I've purchased or ones that um, I've acquired through friends. And I'll, I'll get like, why do you need this jig when you can just make that? And the answer to that is because I don't want to spend my time making this jig. I want to spend my time making the thing that I want to make. And But there are other times where I like making the thing because I want to dive into getting into know something but sometimes it's just I, I have no idea why I want to make the jig just just for pure pleasure I, I want to make the thing just I want I can buy a hand plane but I've made my own block planes because it is it is fun and I didn't really learn anything from making my own block planes but it was fun and I really can't explain. Sometimes I just want to, I, I want to buy the tool and move on to the creative thing. I think it's also important to throw out that you don't have to be able to explain that. You don't yeah, have to have I a justification that, you. for thank doing you. something yeah. that's interesting. As, as I was saying, it depends saying, on where like, you post it, whether you need to have to explain it or not. Yeah. So remember that. <laughs> so no, I, I think that's the, I think that's the thing we need to fight against. Honestly, it's okay to post something just because you're interested in doing it. And yeah. like, you don't have to have a good reason. You know? Yes, you do. I I <laughs> I've recently decided that I, I've kind of had this renewed interest in racing, and I want to build a go kart. 
from scratch. <gasps> I, I know I, about a place you could drive it. <laughs> <laughs> and I, I haven't even told Kelly yet. So I haven't even know where I'm going to build this or store it or whatever. But I'm go- I want to build Living a go- room. <clears throat> yeah, that's perfect. So I want to build a go-kart from scratch. And I want to use it as a learning to get better at, at welding. And maybe I can get a few videos out of that, like beginning welding type stuff. And I could buy a go-kart pretty, probably pretty, I use one pretty cheap. But if I build one, I'm going to learn so much. So... If anybody out there who's listening, I'm going to use use this uh, uh, to help me out here. If you've built a go-kart and have good resources on where to start, let me know uh, because I could I could use some help. I haven't done any Googling. I haven't done any research yet. And, and I know I can Google and I can read the first four or five results. But if you have experience doing this, please let me know. Uh, give, give me a good starting point. One thing I would say, Colin Furs made one couple of years ago and it was a no weld go-kart it was metal hmm. but it was all bolt together and i thought that was a really interesting way to for, especially for him who like just makes crazy stuff that most other people would never even consider that was a very you know like anybody could do this project with without having to be able to weld that's a good place to start though because it shows all the different kind of things that go into it oh yeah uh, at a pretty basic level and then he put a jet engine on it yeah probably <laughs> Jimmy, have you what's what's a tool that you've intentionally made instead of bought or the other way around? You know, like it's not worth making this tool. I'd rather just buy it. Well, it's funny. I, one of the most often questions I, I get behind the scenes is, are you going to make your own bandsaw like Matthias? And I, I think it's amazing that Matthias makes his own bandsaws and he does obviously a great job and he probably knows more about the anatomy of a bandsaw than guys that actually make them in the factory. And I personally don't want to do that. I'd prefer to find one that has some history, something that's antique, something that has some character. So there is one thing that everyone always assumes because I love bandsaws that I'm going to jump to and make one. And I have no interest in making one. I don't, I'll never be able to make it as good as, you know, the 36 inch, uh, American woodworking tools bandsaw that I have. And when I jump on that and I use it, it's just, it's like, for me, it's like getting inside of like a a Lamborghini, you know, that's just like the quality of that big old saw. And I can just find myself being frustrated that the one I make is just like a haphazard version of that. So I'll never do that. It just, it's not my thing. But when it comes to certain hand tools, like bending jigs, I'm sure I can go on to like blacksmith tools and, find on this blacksmith uh, tool website so you could buy tools i'm sure there's certain tools for like a bending jig where it's like a bending fork where it's two pieces of steel that you lock in your vice that's something you could whip together in two seconds and make and it does you know it's a fairly simple you know you're going from something with 100 moving parts as an example to something with no moving parts so there there is there is actually a thing right there i didn't even realize as i said it but i'll make a tool if it has minimal moving parts because I don't want to get yeah. bogged down with, you know, getting right tolerances, getting the thing concentric, whatever it might be. And I'm just thinking of the bandsaw, for example. But the less moving parts, the simpler jig, if I could plasma cut out a, a piece of steel that does this object, or if I could CNC or laser cut out a, a, a push stick, you know, those are tools, not, you know, not complicated tools. But I like the idea of making simple zero to, to low moving parts 
and that way I could add some personality to it. Like a push stick's a perfect example. And it's not, people might not consider it much of a tool, but it's a simple thing you can make. Ice pick. You know, I see guys that make folding knives and that is so complicated that this knife has to open and shut a thousand times. I'll make my own. I'll make an ice pick. I just have to make sure the sheath doesn't fall off. It's one simple thing that I have to worry about. So I always do low risk tools, tools with like low risk probability of failing because there's not much to fail unless you just use it wrong. So I just recently made a set of tongs, which was really cool because when the guys were over, John from Sunset Forge and Cliff Dufton came and taught that class last week and Zach from ZH Fabrications, Cliff sent ahead a file and we were plasma cutting out the silhouettes of tongs. And that just, that wasn't it a done deal. You cut them out, then you have to drill the hole. You have to bend them in the right angle. Then you have to align them. So there's a lot more work to do. The hardest part of shaping each one of the sides was done for you, but then you still had a lot more work to do. So that was, that was a fun experience. And then you could make a set of tongs that is shaped in any way you want, or, you know, for any particular task, just how you make the jaws to grab whatever it is you want to grab. One thing you'll learn about in blacksmithing, Bob, as you progress in your new craft you can have 7,000 tongs laying around you and you'll never have the tongue for the piece of metal you're working on that day. <laughs> so you're going to find yourself, yeah. if you do dig into it, you're going to find yourself modifying tongs. So that's why if you're ever at a garage sale, buy the $5 set of tongs because they'll always come in handy. I mean, between me and Brett, there's so many various little crummy tongs that we've picked up at garage sales. And those are the ones that are perfect for that task that day. And Talking about making tools, the very first set of tongs that I ever made were these weird little duckbill tongs. I just like was focusing on how they connect together and the tip of what that little tip looks like. And they, so it's these two big half-inch by half-inch steel handles. And at the end is this little out-of-scale head that I made, which just picks up the edge of a piece of metal. And the other day, Steve Pellegrino, he's pulling things in and out of the, the firing oven. And he's using those old tongs. I'm like, where did you get those? He goes, oh, they were in the scrap bucket. I go, those are the first tongs I ever made like a year and a half ago. He goes, they're perfect for what I'm doing. And he was just grabbing the edge of the knife. Like like if you can grab the knife with like just your two fingertips, but, you know, with a lot of clamping pressure. And uh, so it was funny to see him using those. I was like, where did you even find those? Like, I thought I made those and threw them away. So... You know, it's if you can make simple tools, it's easy. It's also easy if you're if you're a beginner and you're out there wanting to make tools, make the simple tools first. Like I said, a push stick is something that all of us have made. And give it your own flair, give it your own personality. But to jump into something complicated, well, I use the example of making the, the smelting forge out of a out of a, a beer keg. And I did all the right things. I spent a few hundred dollars on the materials and after all was said and done, I did it wrong. I rushed the 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 casting and I pulled the thing out and broke it. I was like so excited to get something going that it was a big failure for me. And I never finished the video. I never showed it. Ultimately, I ended up buying one from a company called Devil's Forge, which makes really good products on uh, eBay. You can find them on eBay. They actually come from Europe. And they also sell burners and small forges, all very, very, very affordable stuff. And uh, so I say keep it simple if you're going to start. But that being said, I've spoken with college students who jumped right in, never have made anything in their life and made Matthias's bandsaw. And that's also a great attempt if you really just want to do it just strictly for the learning process. Also, you know, like if you I don't building, know it, that you're doing it wrong or if you don't, it, just ignorance can help you build something. That's absolutely true. You yeah. can develop a whole new skill set. Yeah. You develop a whole new yeah. skill set that you know nobody has except for you because you did it completely wrong, but you got to the same result. 
And it might have been easier for you because of the way your mind works and the, the mm-hmm. skill set you are applying to it from a different trait. I mean, I love seeing that type of innovation. And uh, I was going to say with my canoe, of course, you know, a couple of comments, it's so dumb, like, oh, just go buy one. But it's really the experience and the learning curve of making it something with bent curves. And Nick always says it. He goes, I, I, I wanted to try and up my game, my woodworking game. And he said, they seem to, the most... Uh, the, the most skillful woodworkers are the guys that build boats. And so Nick just turned his attention to trying to build canoes because he said, that's a good entry level project to up, hmm. up your skills as a woodworker. You know, anybody can nail square boards together. He said, it takes a certain type of, of discipline to figure out how to put curved boards together and curve those boards and shape them into, to fit each other. So the experience and the process is really where the learning happens. Well, that's, might sound cheesy where the tire meets the road (laughs) i can think of one example where me buying the jig to save time did not actually save me time i bought the incra ibox jig which is a fantastic box making jig i'm not dissing it whatsoever because it can do some variable widths and do some fancy stuff but i found that every time i went to use it i had to watch the video to relearn how to use it and it became kind of a hassle to use it so then i made my own box jig for the table saw and now it's just set up and ready to go there's no i don't have to watch a video i can just make box joints whenever i want and so i kind of wish i wouldn't have spent the money on that jig and just made it the you know from scratch the first time yeah i mean like it's gone both ways for me um i made a a metal break one time which is one of the reason I made that instead of purchase one is because I didn't have a need for it. Like it's, I didn't, I didn't have any metal I needed to bend. I just wanted to see what it would be like to make the break. It would be different if it was like, okay, now I'm going to go make this giant metal thing and I'm going to have a thousand bends I need to do and they need to be really exact. I would just buy the thing <laughs> and be done with it because it would help me do the job. But this one, the job was the experimentation of the break. And to be perfectly honest, I've never used that thing. I used it for the video to test it out, to show that it worked. But I've never used it after that because I don't bend metal very often. Like, you know, and it's there if I need it. But um, I learned that what I made worked to a degree. It worked for a certain thickness, you know, which was to be expected. I mean, it's not going to bend every thickness of metal. It worked fine for what it was. And then um, I made a, uh, we made a pottery wheel couple months a few months back or whatever and technically it works i've thrown pottery on it but then after having done that and made it and then had an actual potter come use it she was saying well you know this is really good for a homemade thing and it totally works but mine that i've paid a lot of money for also does this and it has this a little bit different and so i learned a bunch of stuff based on her using the tool that if i ever wanted to make one again i would be able to make it better Um, or if I go to buy one, I know what to look for. I know what deficiencies mine had that I made so that I could look for ones with a bigger pan or for a different type type of bat on the top. And, you know, that's just stuff that I wouldn't have known to ask about. Um, and, uh, looking back now that we're talking about it, I've actually made several tools. Uh, I'd kind of forgotten that I made, like made two different vacuum formers. And they both work fine, even though a lot of people said neither one of them would work. Uh, they both work fine. We've done the 
the metal thing, the um, break, uh, the forge, the pottery wheel. I had another one in my head that I've now forgotten. Oh, but uh, you were mentioning earlier about making versus buying, and sometimes it gets in the way of you know, actually getting the project done. The first 3D printer I ever bought was a kit. Now, some people absolutely love buying kit 3D printers and putting them together. They love tweaking them and getting them all like dialed in so that they work perfectly. That was one of the worst experiences of my life. (laughs) It was terrible because it's like, here's a kit of a bunch of pieces that all fit together. You can put it together and then it should work, right? Then you hit the button and it's just like... It's just like, just gross. It doesn't do anything it's supposed to do. And so I spent the money on the kit. I spent the time putting it together. And then I have to decide, well, do I want to continue to dump time into this thing to see if I can get it to work? Like, I don't, I have no experience here. Maybe I can't even get it to do what I want it to do. And that led me, for 3D printing specifically, that really put a thing on me personally. This is a tool that I need to work with high precision the first time. Now, this is not like, it's the same reason I wouldn't build a bandsaw or a table saw. Those have to do a very specific thing and they have to do it well. And if they don't do it well, they're worthless. And for me, a 3D printer is the same thing. If it doesn't do something to high precision, it serves no purpose, you know, but other people really enjoy the process of getting a kit that doesn't do things to precision and making it get there. And that's awesome. Good for them. That's a great way to save money, honestly. But for me, that was a, one of those clear moments where I was like, well, no, I made the wrong choice here. <laughs> like, in the future, I'm not buying kits anymore. I'm just going to, you know, get the printer. Um, so, I mean, it doesn't always work to make the tool. Because, um, you know, people. some people even go further than that. They'll Instead of buying a kit, they will physically buy the individual pieces to make their own 3D printer, CNC, laser. And to me, that sounds like madness, but people love it. You know, <laughs> I was going to say not to diss those guys because... I envy them and I envy their skill set and their confidence. But like we all meet guys at shows and I'm thinking of a couple guys in specific and I love you because don't think I'm picking on you because they know they probably listen. You're like, oh my God, this thing is such a, a pain in the butt, this CNC. They're like, oh, well, why don't you just make your own? I make my own. I just, I made my own. I just buy the parts and put it I'm like, yeah, that's easy for you. For me, that's like trying to land a jumbo jet. Like, oh, well, you just get the right stepper motor and you just put the software under this. I'm like, Talk over my head a little more. That's never happening, ever. Well, you just go to this website and you buy this. And I'm like, yeah, 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 enough, enough. I'm going to go buy a whole machine gun. <laughs> but isn't that interesting, though, that we are all so different? Because yeah. someone would go to you and be like, I don't know, I want to make a canoe. And you'd be like, yeah, it's no big deal. You just take some wood and you bend the wood on the thing. And you put like 30 coats of this and you do that and you bend it <laughs> and you whatever. And for me personally, I would be like, no, I'm going to go buy a canoe because I don't want to spend the time to bend all that stuff. But I think that's pretty cool that we all have these things that seem unattainable and then these things that seem kind of second nature. And those skills and interests of mine are very different from even the two of you. You know, like we have just different comfort levels with all those different things. I think that's Mm -hmm. cool. Yeah. It's part of what makes the community pretty awesome. Um, is there a tool that you just absolutely, I mean, you said bandsaw, but is there a tool that people often make that you absolutely would not make? Hmm. I'm going to have a hard time thinking of something here, but like, well, you know what? A good example, I'm going to change your question to a, to a different question, but a, a good example is, is, uh, um, Kressel made that 
the the shaper and the lathe. He knows mm-hmm. they weren't going to be perfect. He did it strictly for the process of learning. Remember that? Yeah. Yep. Now, and, you know, so there's a good example. We could maybe tag his channel in the end of this for the people that don't know. Uh, yeah. He made high-precision tools that you would ordinarily pay a lot of money for simply for the process of learning how to do it. And he, uh, his net result was actually really good. So there's a good, a good example of a really high, like he dove in knowing that this is nearly an impossible feat. And he was able to, to get those few projects done. And in the process of talking about every one of the steps in his multiple series of videos on them, he learned and showed and this didn't work, but this could work. And together, this, these things do that and the other thing. So that's a really good example. But for me, uh, I, I see a lot of people making benders. For instance, I would never make a bender because I know like I can just go on Craigslist and find an old used uh, sheet metal bender. Or um, I would never make a bandsaw. I would never make a printing press. It's one thing everybody keeps saying to me. Oh, my God, that looks like a really easy thing to make. Do you think you'd make a printing press? I'm like, never. Why would I make a why, printing why press? I have 15 why of them. Why is that a never? Because well, other than the fact that you have. <laughs> because there's, like, the, the mental energy that goes into, like, making sure. Like, I have precise machines that were made, like, big factory assembly. And to get them precise is a pain in the butt to make sure that they do what they're supposed to do right. If I'm going to make it out of plywood and this and that and the other thing. That being said... I know that uh, uh, Izzy wants to make one, and I'm sure it would work perfect. But in my mind, I just think of the the nightmare effort to try and make it work. And so I say, no, I'd rather fix one. I'd rather bring like bring one back to life. And I have this one from the mm. 1860s. This big, uh, it's, it's called a uh, a big Washington hand press, and that's something I'm probably going to work on over the winter. So for me, it's 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 my, I feel I'd feel more. Like I'm con- con- contributing to the maker community by like bringing something back to life rather than just starting from scratch. And, but that being said, I love seeing when when Matthias makes a bandsaw or talks about the the upgrades to the ones he's made, or somebody makes something. I mean, it's the biggest impetus for us is not being able to afford something and then making it for ourselves. And in the process of learning and getting into it, then suddenly you become the expert at it, and then you start studying other real manufactured versions of that. And then you become that expert on that stuff. So it's, it's, you know, do it for the learning of it all, but do something that suits your needs. David, do you have one that you just absolutely would not make? I'm sure there is, but I I can't think of anything. I'm, I wish I was in my shop right now just to do an ocular scan of everything, but I really think it depends on, when I need something and my mood when I need that something. Hmm. So I don't think anything is, is a definite no or, or yes. I don't, yeah, I can't think of anything that's like an absolute no, but I can think of a couple examples where I almost tried to make something and just decided not to like, um, a big disc sander. I wanted to have like a big, oh, yeah. you know, 18, 20, 24 inch, something like that. And I started looking into it and it just, it just didn't seem worth the amount of stuff that would have to go into it to to see if it worked. You know, like the forge is pretty low bar. Like I spent, I don't know, 60, 70 bucks on stuff to try that out. Mm-hmm. If it didn't work. Okay, I can buy one. But, you know, to put in several hundred dollars to try a big spinning machine 
and it not work. And like, eh. Well, Dan and I started taking apart our 12-inch Harbor Freight desander to see if we could make it bigger by just like mounting. Mm. Uh, there was some certain things you actually have to cut off with a grinder, but then just mounting some sort of bigger circular plate on there than putting sandpaper on that. Now, yeah, things need to be true, but I think the motor is powerful enough because what is it, a one-horse power motor? I think it would be powerful enough to hold something that's a little bit bigger, maybe 14 or 16 inches. So that's something yeah. to think about is modifying the Harbor Freight one. Yeah, interesting. I don't think I really need it to be any bigger. I think it was more of just after seeing Frank oh. Howard's like big eight-foot yeah. spinning disc, <laughs> whatever big it is. <laughs> yeah. I was just like, oh, man, that'd be cool to have a bigger one. But another thing kind of similar to that is a, a belt grinder. Like I've seen lots of people make really nice belt grinders that are adjustable and you know you can slide the everything in and out and change the length of the belts and everything and i thought about that but it's just like Hmm. i don't that's a lot of moving parts and a lot of very fast spinning rough stuff and it just didn't seem like like i if i was gonna go into knife making or if i was gonna go into you know do a very specific thing where that was going to be an essential part of what i did Mm -hmm. i could see maybe you know putting more effort into understanding all the parts and learning things but honestly i just it's I need to clean up my welds with it usually, you know, so it's not, <laughs> right. it's, it doesn't really matter. Uh, and so it, at that point it was easier. I started looking around for different ones and then you found the, uh, you recommended the Ameribraid one. So, um, yeah, there, yeah, that's been a pretty good use. That was one we were looking, Dan and I were looking into making one for ourselves as well because of the price of belt grinders are pretty pricey they're very expensive yeah. i'm like well yeah. i can save a lot of money by making one and then i started watching the videos of people making them and i'm like oh that's a commitment i yeah. i'll just spend the money because i'm not going to use it enough and it's not going to be part of my daily routine to to get that involved into making something and one of the big costs of those after we got to looking into them was the motor right the the thing that makes it spin is the big heavy expensive part and that's expensive whether you buy it unless you're going to make your own motor that's an expensive whether you're putting a motor on one that you're making or you're buying one and buying a motor as well and so at that point it's just like well do you want to put in the extra time to make the assembly to hold the whole thing you know or is that like that's kind of the inexpensive part of buying a belt grinder so you're going to buy the motor either way it just made sense to buy the whole thing but I don't know. Overall, like I, I enjoy the learning process of making a tool and I never go into it with like a, this is going to work. You know, this is the thing that I'm going to like, this will be the best vacuum former ever or the best, whatever. It's just like, well, I need a base level tool that does X if I can make it awesome. And if not, like (laughs) Josh and I have this conversation on occasion where we'll get a comment, like, I can't believe you did that. This is going to fail, whatever. But all of us who are makers, we make things and they almost always fail in some form or fashion, but I don't think that bothers us as much as it bothers other people because <laughs> yeah. they can fix it. Yeah. People, yeah. people you know always I mean? say like, oh, that ain't going to work. That's going to break in time. I was like, well, sh- good thing I know somebody that could fix stuff, right? <laughs> yeah. I, like, I guess it's just not, that's not a pitfall for me. That's not a, well, I shouldn't do it because if I can't do it 100% right, I just shouldn't do it at all because, you know, I mean, if it fails... Okay, that's another project for me. That's another time I get to fix something. I exactly. Get to make an, a replacement. So when I, I don't made, think that's a bad thing. Um, 
when I made our dining room table, it uses, I think, five or six different species of wood, and it's glued up in a way that you normally wouldn't glue wood up because of expansion and contraction. And I was I was talking to Kelly. I'm like, yeah, I'm worried that this isn't going to last. And she's like, well, if it splits, what, what happens? I'm like, I guess I'll just have to fix it. And she's like, well, there you go. And then it was just like that aha <laughs> moment of like, yeah, no big deal. Uh, all right, I'm going to yep. finish the build and build it the way I want to. Yeah. Cool. I think that's that's the, the thing to take away, I guess, from making projects or tools, honestly. Go into it with, um, learning, get, with the learning, with the ambition of learning. Yeah. That's it. Learning whether you made a mistake trying to make it or not, that's what you're going to find out. Yeah. You guys got anything things. else on, on this? We good. Oh. We good. Okay. Well, you've had an entire show, almost an hour now, to figure out what you're going to recommend. But I'm going to go first just to give you some <laughs> in case you didn't. <laughs> Mine is totally unrelated to absolutely everything about this podcast. But it's fantastic. This was a recommendation of Josh's the other day. There's a show. Okay, did you guys ever watch Wipeout? The show Wipeout? Jimmy, I know you didn't because you don't watch anything. Okay, several years ago, there was this show called Wipeout. And it was like a... It was on ABC, I think. And... It's basically an obstacle course over water, and oh, I've these seen people it. run. Yeah. yeah, these people run across, and they just try to make it through this crazy obstacle course. We loved that show because it's so funny. People usually don't get hurt; they just get knocked around, and so it's fun to watch people get knocked around in water and stuff. And there's like funny commentators and stuff. There's this new show called Holy Moly, and it's Wipeout plus mini golf, and so. It's on Hulu, and we watched one episode of it the other night, and I honestly laughed out loud for the majority of the episode. It's got Rob Riggle, I think is his name. He's like a comedian guy. He's one of the announcers, and he's the guy know, that man. talks just, like this, and he's yeah, yeah, always he on like the, uh, the Daily yeah. Show as a super reporter. Yeah, it's excellent. It's called Holy Moly. It's just like people playing mini golf over these extreme courses. And sometimes they have to like run up these slides and they have to dodge rolling logs. And they, I, man, it's just, it's good fun. So go check out Holy Moly or don't, if that sounds terribly stupid to you, that's fine. I'm going to enjoy it. Jimmy. What you, uh, you know, I'm going to talk about, I was just talking, JD came to this knife class, JD from Atlanta. So JD, thank you for coming and hanging out here again for like the fourth time. JD and I were talking about, a vice. Oh, by the way, I came up with the coolest vice stand for my 300-pound vice I restored a few months ago. You're going to have to wait and see what it's going to be. So in the process of <laughs> chit-chatting about my new, amazing, incredible vice stand that I'm going to make in the next couple of weeks, we talked about Jason from Fireball Tools and his video on making a vice and sharing the plans on making a vice with a water jet cut steel assembly. And he put out a video today or yesterday testing that vice against other vices. And I have to admit, I haven't watched either one of them fully, completely. I've perused them. And so I'm going to make it my task this week to watch both of those videos start to finish. So Fireball Tools. And Fireball Tools makes excellent welding jigs and braces for making perfectly square corners. And so talk about making your own tools. It's somebody who made his own tools and made it into a company. And it's a simple tool that only has no moving parts. So... It's hard to break them. <laughs> Only no, huh? <laughs> Only has no moving parts. That's great. Talking about the 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 the, the welding jigs that he sells, yeah, the, the welding squares. squares. Yeah. yeah. 
So I thought of a great cool. hack for this section of the show. I'll just go last, and then I'll just say, oh, yeah, that was going to be my pick. So thanks. <laughs> uh, now, this week, I'm going with Lorikamp super loud sound system on a bike. Oh, Have yeah. you guys seen that? <laughs> yeah, it's, it's crazy. It's absolutely ridiculous and not necessary, and that's why I love it. It's just a big sound system on a trike bike. It's so... With it's a light awesome. show, right? That's the thing with the big lights on top. It's got lights on top, and it's got uh, yeah. like four or six speakers built into it, a big woofer in there, and it's all battery-powered. It's it's fantastic. Very cool. That's cool. I haven't seen that one yet. <clears throat> Bob, I have a technical question for you from your last video. At one uh, point... Okay. Uh, at one point, you're wearing Problem Solver shirt, and it's in reverse. Now, was that was that yes. frame of video flipped, or was the shirt flipped? No, the shirt is flipped. Oh, okay. I thought the frame of video was flipped for some compositional reason, because we all having a discussion about it. A yeah, of- a lot of people mistake that, and they ask about it in the comments, which, I mean, is understandable. But, uh, yeah, the whole idea with that shirt, we have them in a bunch of different colors, but the whole idea is, like, you read it when you're starting your day. Right? Oh, you in the mirror. On, oh, right, look right, at right. yourself in the mirror, and you can see that you are a problem solver. Oh, no I matter think what you talked about see. this. I think you mentioned this. Yeah. yeah. So, so, that's the idea there. There you go. Cool. All right. Well, um, we've already done the Patreon thing. Thanks again to everybody that helps us on Patreon. We're going to go do the after show right now, unless you guys have anything else. That's it. Oh, okay. I got something. Maybe we'll hear about his uh, his stand. He's going to make an after. Oh, you know what we have to do? This isn't an after show thing. This is an every show thing. Louisville Make Affair. I'm booked. Oh, yeah. 28, 29. That's right. That will be the day after this show goes up. So you better Um, get over there quick. Leave now. (laughs) And you know what? Jimmy's going to be there, what, Saturday and Sunday? Yeah. If you you live within driving distance and you're like, nah, I hear these guys enough, what you won't hear on this podcast, but what you will see is me playing on a hundred year old bandsaw. I've talked about this 70 times. So just to clear it up for those that don't know, when I was in Louisville a few weeks ago, me and the guys took a lunch break and went to an auction that was taking place nearby at a wood shop. And there was the same bandsaw that I already have uh, a 36 inch American woodworking tools bandsaw. Same one I have. I bid on it and I won it. It's still in Louisville. Those guys went and picked it up for me. So it's at the first build workshop. It's a 2,000-pound bandsaw. And they said, hey, since you're coming and this bandsaw's here, what if we set it up at the Maker Fair, get your new blade and some wood, and you just play on the bandsaw all day long? I said, that is the best idea I've ever heard in my life. I love it. Let's do it. So I'm going to be at the Maker Fair filling up all my free time, just freestyle cutting stuff on the bandsaw. This big antique bandsaw, which is huge antique old piece of american made steel so. that's awesome that's it now you have a reason to drive five hours tomorrow <laughs> <laughs> jimmy's gonna be there all weekend <clears throat> um me and the whole i like to make stuff team are gonna be there on sunday at least um and we're doing a talk at 12 i think the, mm-hmm. the team is and then are you and i still doing a talk oh yeah i told them or, whatever you know I, I told them to break it up a little bit so it's not like one right into the other but i said yeah. you and i will do whatever you know we'll freestyle something do a q a talk about making tools something talk about david since he's not going to be there yeah. sorry guys cool yeah. <laughs> We're <gonna pipe> David <laughs> in on so we'll all we'll all be at the fair um oh and also heard that they only as of a few days ago they only had like five maker spots left which means it's going to be pretty full which oh is wow awesome. you mean available yeah. tents for like people to show off yeah Oh, cool. Yeah. 
So, so now you have till tomorrow good. to join. You got five spots left. You <laughs> go now. All right. That's it for this one. Thanks for listening, everybody. All right. And we'll catch you next time. Love y'all. Bye. 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 Bye.